I was thinking as we were singing, that last, that last verse of that song as we were singing, uh, that just in, in anticipation of, of our rising together, our being caught up, uh, uh, not, not being ahead of those who have already, who've already departed ahead of us, but, but rising up together and meeting our Lord with the, with, with, in the air and forever being with the Lord. And imagine, are, are you ready in your head, really, in your heart? Are you comfortable with the idea that I am going to be face-to-face with God who made me? Am I, am I ready for that? I'm not afraid to, to be in the very presence of the God and creator of everything. As I think of Oscar and Jim, Cheryl, Mark, one thing I'm quite certain of is they know that better than I do. They know that acceptance by God, that loving embrace of a father for his children, God our Father and Creator, grabbing hold and pulling them near. They know that full embrace and absolute forgiveness. They get it now better than any of us yet do. But in that same way, in that same way that that ultimate embrace of our Savior, when our faith, our confident trust that that I am forgiven and accepted in God's presence, our, our confident trust by faith becomes our sight, our reality, our experience. That, that as revolutionary as that must be, so also is it when in the midst of religion and ritual and habits and going through the motions that could even be as traditional as going through the motions of a table like this. And, and in a table like this, we have these traditions and things are supposed to be done just the way. And oh my, oh my, this, this lid didn't get put back on there. Is that Okay. We can get so wrapped up in traditions and practice, and and a lot of people live out what we might wish was faith, but for them it's a matter of ritual and tradition. That was not unlike the synagogue in a small city called Berea when Paul, Silas, Timothy arrive coming out of the larger city of Thessalonica, and they arrive there and begin, they begin to tell and explain. And Paul publicly and up front is opening the Old Testament scriptures and showing how they point to Jesus and total forgiveness and acceptance in him. And it was just as revolutionary in that moment for those who heard and believed. That's why you have that report of Scripture of all these people who believed it and grabbed hold of it and, 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 and grabbed others and said, come and listen too. So as we, as we read this, these few verses now in Acts chapter 17 of, the, of the, the same mission team, new city, very similar setting and similar but different results, I want you to hear that in that we've just moved from r- ritual and religion to realizing that before the God of all creation, I am forgiven, 
I am accepted. There is a way for me to stand in his presence. That's that gospel moment that has got to be just as freeing and lifting and elevating as that moment we look for at Christ's return when we move from faith into sight. Let's read Acts chapter 17, beginning at verse 10. Acts chapter 17, beginning at verse 10. If you're using the church Bible in front of us, you'll find us on a page 926. Acts chapter 17, we pick up the story, coming out of Thessalonica, moving to Berea in verse 10. There has just been a great disturbance, a riot, really, chaos in the city of Thessalonica around, around Paul. And so, in verse 10 it says, the brothers... Those who were believers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, willingness. They examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea, also they came there too. Agitating, stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. And those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So, we have a brief stint now. We don't know exactly how long Paul's in Berea. It's kind of open-ended until the word got back to Thessalonica. Sooner or later, as people travel, the news travels with them, and they heard that Paul was now in full. It was probably somebody who was just thrilled. Probably somebody is just thrilled with what they have been hearing from Paul in the synagogue there, and the people have been gathering together, and they, they get it, they see it, they look into the scriptures, and there it is. They're reading Isaiah in a whole new light now, and they are so excited. One of them travels back to Thessalonica on some business and is telling the people in the synagogue there, man, there's this guy, Paul, came here. Have you guys ever heard of him? Man, this is wonderful. And they perked up their ears and some leaders said, what? He's where? He's doing what? And off they came. So, and then so that, that, that kind of ends the episode. But, but what makes Berea different and what, we're know, what the Bereans are known to us, in fact, there are churches that are named Berean Church because of what these particular people are known for. Their response when they hear God's good news, how they respond to that makes all the difference. It says that these were more noble or more open-minded, or more noble-minded, some of your versions say, than those in Thessalonica. They were more noble. They were listening eagerly and receptively. You see that word, that more noble or noble-minded or open-minded, it's a, it's a translation that, that takes a word and it, as it gains meaning kind of through, through generations, it begins to carry more than the original word, which means those who were kind of considered the noble ones in society, kind of the upper class, maybe the ruling families in a, in a town or city. And uh, they had more civic responsibility than the others, and there were more expectations upon them as well. But one of the characteristics of the nobility, and you, you certainly see this borne out in royal families, that the royals aren't supposed to act like commoners. They're, quote, better than that. 
Well, in that sense, in the best sense of that, they held themselves to a higher standard because of their position in the community, and it was expected that those who were nobles would conduct themselves in certain ways that befit their status, and one of those was how they received people. That they would be open-minded, non-prejudicial. They would listen to a person where they were coming from without judging or dismissing them. So what was understood to be a, a, a good listener, a listening to understand, a generous listening that was free from prejudice, that was normal for the nobility, so that was considered to be noble-minded. And that's why some of your versions go all the way to the open-minded. Not open-minded in that maybe this is so, maybe this is so, maybe this is so, but I'm willing to hear your perspective. In fact, I want to understand your perspective. But now that sort of receptivity is not being applied to, to uh, interactions among humans, but that kind of receptivity is being applied between humans and God. And this is not normal. One of the reasons I, I entitled this passage More Noble Than Normal is humanity is not typically noble. Humanity is not typically noble toward each other. Oftentimes, there's, we default to prejudice against those who are different from us in various ways. We categorize people and we, we associate people just in categories that we assume they must be like this. They're with us or against us. You see that in partisanship as well and political persuasions also that there's this dividing and there is this sorting and, 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 and categorizing and cataloging people in one place or another in all kinds of ways in our society. That nobility, that open-mindedness though, is certainly not characteristic of humanity when it comes to hearing from God. We'll talk about that in a, in a moment. But, but agitation and stirring up is oftentimes the response instead. But, but these Bereans, and what we know and understand from what a Berean mind is, is, is related to how they, with open ears and open heart, received the things that they were hearing concerning God from these messengers. They were willing to listen without prejudging, willing to hear. And because of that, and then the response to it, well, how do I know that what I hear is true or not? If I'm really listening openly, then it might be, for instance, if I'm going to be a Berean, if I'm going to hear from the Word of God, what does it have to say to me? I have to entertain the possibility that God's word is right and I am wrong. When, we, when, it, when there's a collision between the two, between me and God's word, then I'm going to have to assume that, that I need to adjust, I need to defer to what God is saying. I'm receptive to God's correction of me from his messenger as long as this really is his message. 
So Paul comes along then. Somebody comes along today and says, this is what God says. And so you want to be receptive God. So you say, all right. Or it may sound wonderful. It may sound fantastic. It may sound like a great opportunity. God wants to do what? God wants me where? God's gonna, God has promised me. And, and oh, you can, you can just start running in excitement with all this stuff that you've heard somebody said that that's what God says. How do you know? I've been told some people are, are very open-minded. Some people are so open-minded, in fact, their brains might fall out. You don't want to be that kind of open-minded, right? How do we know then, well, where does open-minded stop and foolishness begin, right? Well, they were open-minded. And when they're open-minded, first of all, their open-mindedness is not merely to Paul, but it's as a messenger from God. They are willing to hear what God has to say. Don't underestimate that. These people are coming to faith because there's an openness in them to hearing from God. That willingness then is, is added in with something else. They, as Paul reasoned with them from the scriptures, that they received the word with all eagerness. They willingly, eagerly listened, and then they were also examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They're listening, and the assumption would be that they're listening each time Paul is giving the public opportunity to teach in the Sabbath. They might also be listening to Paul in his conversations individually or in smaller groups, in the marketplace, and here and there, wherever he has opportunity. I don't think, I honestly don't think you could shut the guy up. I, I, I see that played out in Acts later where somebody falls out a window asleep because you couldn't, you couldn't shut the guy up. But they're hearing Paul, but then there's something more than that. They're going back, and they're, they're going home, right? And they're, they're going in, each one individually back to their own houses, open up their own Bibles and reading, Right? No, they don't have Bibles. They don't have copies of the Hebrew Scriptures, each one their own set of scrolls. Those are at the synagogue. Now, some, some of the more wealthy houses might have copies of these scrolls or those, but, but most people did not have that kind of access. They would go back to the synagogue. Somebody would read those to them. Again, hey, what was that that Paul was saying about Isaiah? Isaiah 53, open that up, read that again. What did he say about David from the Psalms? That, 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 that God's Holy One would not undergo decay, that he would rise from the dead? What, can you read that again? Is that really? And it was, a, it was an opening up of the Scriptures with others, with this kind of mindset. Could this really be true? Is that really what it says? There was that kind of anticipatory excitement that you know God's spirit is at work here. But now for us, okay, now what does it say as a result of that? But those two things go together. They listened willingly and eagerly. And not only did they receive the word listening with all eagerness, but they were examining the scriptures daily and they were doing that in some kind of community with others. It was a discussion searching the scriptures. It was a digging in with some others because it couldn't be done individually the way that, do, that, that we do today. And that's one of the things I love. Whether it's a class on Sunday morning, whether it's a, a home group in someone's home with others, whether it's seniors on Wednesday, whether it's, whether it's men on, on Wednesday nights or the ladies' groups on Tuesday or precepts on Thursday, but that digging into the Word of God together. 
with some interaction and some willingness to question ourselves and our understanding in the light of God's word, do you know what that leads to? It says right here, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them, therefore, because of that willingness to hear and discerning truth based on the scriptures rather than what I think or what I've been told in the past, but discerning the truth out of what I'm hearing based on the written scriptures. What comes from that is, therefore, many of them believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Uh, But then the trouble came. But my first point is this. We We need to listen well and read more. How many of you want to know God more fully, more deeply before we're face to face? There's a hungering that's normal among God's children, among God's family to know him. To want to walk with him. To want to get a little more. Don't you always question your mind, well, why, does God, why did God this? Why? Because you want to know him. And sometimes the circumstances and the situation seem to contradict what you know God must be according to what it says. And yet you can't quite get that and you want to. Because you want to know him. And The way to know him, to walk with him more fully, to experience that fellowship, that closeness of relationship together, father and child, is to listen well and read more. It's really as simple as that. When when Paul could no longer be with the church, this is what he gave them. When Paul wasn't going to see the Ephesian church anymore, as far as he knew, he left them with these words. He said, now I commend you to God. I trust you in God's care. I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which that word concerning God's grace is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified and made holy. That God's word is our, it's our spiritual food. I want to grow. I don't, I want to be, I want to be more into Christ's likeness than I am. I want to bear more fruit that resembles my heavenly family than I presently show. Where is that going to come from? It isn't going to come from me simply trying harder and being more disciplined. It's going to come from me feeding my soul, hearing from God, hearing receptively, hearing wanting to understand God's view on it rather than mine. And comparing that perception of what I'm hearing from God with this is what his word says. That's where I'm going to grow. We want to be more Berean. We want God doing his work in us with those same miraculous results. And that's where it comes from. We need to listen well. We need to hear more. We need to approach. It was was revolutionary for me in my Christian life when one day it was in Spokane, probably, I want to guess, 1983, maybe 1984, when all of a sudden something clicked for me and I realized I get far more out of all of this when I hear that guy, Pastor Ken was his name, when I hear Ken as he's teaching from God's word, when I receive him as a, a messenger of God, to me. Now, that doesn't mean that at that point anything he said was, was um, as, as from God's mouth to my ear. But I listened a whole lot more carefully. 
And I wanted to get, even as he said it imperfectly, I wanted to get what was true about, uh, from, of God from what he was saying and teaching and explaining and comparing that in God's word, myself with others, but that God was speaking to us in here as well as from here. And that's when things really changed. Now, when that happens, you can expect resistance. You can expect resistance in life. You can expect resistance in your circumstances. You can expect resistance sometimes from others around you. That's what happened in Berea as well. And when any individuals are, are, are taking advance, when, when the kingdom of God is being extended, when, it, when it's going in, pressing into new ground that used to be the enemy's domain, he's going to resist that, and he does here, and he will in your experience, in your life. There'll be trouble that come. There'll be people that harass you. There'll be people that mock you. There will be, as happens here, they came there also agitating and stirring up the crowds. And when Paul talks about this later, he talks about Satan's hindering. He talks about wanting to return to the Thessalonians, but Satan hindered. So Satan is using this, this chaotic environment. Satan is using their spiritual enmity behind this, this agitating and this stirring up that is, that is contrary to, that is contradicting God's truth. It's not personal to Paul. And as you're seeking to engage with others, or sometimes when something comes against you, you never even saw it coming, you don't know why. Maybe it's simply because you're gaining ground. You're drawing closer. You're having perhaps more impact in terms of the light of the gospel than you realize in circles around you and the enemy is stirring up trouble against you. It's not personal. It wasn't personal with Paul, although they single him out. He's there focused, but it's actually much bigger than Paul. It's much bigger than you. Ephesians 6.12 tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities. And don't think government and politicians here. Think against the cosmic powers of this present darkness against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's who we wrestle against, and that tells me that you and I are in trouble because these, these spiritual enemies are, are greater than we are. Ah, but we remember again God's word and God's promise. We go back to it and, and we turn the page and we remind ourselves that's really what it says, that through the apostle John, he says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That Jesus Christ, when he rose, he ascended, he sat down at the Father's right hand above or over any principality or power. He has all authority. Paul Paul writes to the Thessalonian church in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. He says, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run quickly and be glorified, be lifted up, even as happened among you. The same receptivity, the same way that you heard the gospel, pray that that will happen other ways, other places. And pray that we will be delivered from wicked and evil men. See how, see how it goes together? For not all have faith. But that's okay. The Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. We have this confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things we command. May the Lord then direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. Jesus said, no one is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. It's not, it's not personal. It's bigger than Paul. 
It's bigger than you. And yet, even in the midst of resistance, that's actually an opportunity to do what? To listen well and to read more. First of all, resistance, trouble, opposition will push us back to the promise. It'll push us back to what do I really know? Where do I lean? What do I know to be true? Where does my confidence come from? Where is my hope in the midst of this trouble? So whether it's personal antagonism and opposition against you, or whether it's trouble on the bottom falling out in this present world, which can only be, by the way, for this present world, I have it on good authority, there is no bottom dropping out in heaven. It doesn't happen there. So all the trouble, all these times, it's like the things that happen in the Bible, in, in some of the historical narratives it says, and it came to pass. It came to pass. It didn't come to stay. Okay? That we, we, we can be assured of a confident future, though we haven't yet seen it, we've heard it. We've heard it. God has told us. And so in the midst of trouble, in the midst of opposition, whether it is agitators and stirring uppers, or whether it's just trouble coming, crashing in on you in one circumstance after another, you say, but what did God promise? In the midst of death and another and another, Jesus comes along and spoils a good funeral. Do you remember that? I love John 11. But Jesus comes along right there besides the grave, and he says, but the one who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe that? Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The very worst, the very worst that could happen to me in this life, for my very life itself to be taken away, all that does is bring me into the presence of my loving God and my Savior. And there I will see by sight what I have known by faith up till now. The very worst that the enemy... That's what Jesus means when he says, don't be afraid of the one who can kill the body. <laughs> that, is, that is nothing. This is just a bit compared to all that will stretch before you into eternity. No. The one that should be feared is the one who could kill the body, yes, but, they, but kill cast body and, and soul into hell. No, no, not for us, the enemy. What Jesus is saying is, is don't, don't fear the enemy. He's the one who is afraid. You know what drives agitators and stirrer-uppers? It's fear that their control is slipping away. When they get desperate, that's when they get the angriest. So, so J. Vernon McGee used to say, I used to hear this because in, a, in our ministry with Transworld Radio in Africa, those many years, we had Vernon McGee's Through the Bible program in English as well as a, a host of different languages. And I remember him saying more than one occasion that when you, throw an, when you throw a rock down a dark alley and you hear a yell, it means you hit something. So if you hear a yell, don't, don't, get, all, don't get all worried about the yelling. Hey, we hit something here. Now, sometimes, truth be told, if we go back to point number one, sometimes our own yelling means God's hitting something. Sometimes our own squirming means the word of God is pressing in on our own heart and our own comfort zones a little bit, right? Sometimes that comes out in some ugly ways from ourselves or others. That's okay. 
God is, God is gracious about that. We can expect resistance in the midst of God's working, and yet we will listen well and read more so that we can, we, we can listen well to others around us, that they might read more. Now, Paul is pushed out of Berea by the agitators and the stirruppers, right? You think, oh, man, what a disappointment. Well, Paul is hustled on to Athens, but did you notice there's some behind-the-scenes going on. It says, but Silas and Timothy remained. They stick around. They're behind the scenes. This, the public preaching in the synagogue on Saturdays has ended, but the searching the Scriptures in smaller groups is still going on. And the word is still spreading. And believers, new Christians, are being strengthened in their faith through this ongoing ministry of Silas and Timothy. And, and that, that, there's something I want to suggest. I want to take that whole Berean idea of listening well and reading more. And I want to turn that a little bit toward people around us. Because the best thing that you can do in the midst of agitating and stirring up is to listen well. As well as read more. Read more to keep yourself anchored, but listening well to what's going on around us. I was, I was reading this week one, one guy's suggestion as far as when, when people oppose you. They might call you this or that. They may challenge you on a particular hot-button issue, and they may jump right, right over the rail immediately that you're one of those Christian haters. A great response is, really? Well, tell me more about that. Just tell me more. You know, you can start off with the hot button labels and the big headlines, but let's get beyond that big headline. Let's get into the story a little bit. The story's number normally smaller print. And typically, the way media works, just to press the analogy, when you carry on a little bit into the story, around about paragraph five or six, you finally might get to how things really are. The spin begins to fade. The spin's in the headline. The, the, the spin is in the opening paragraph. But if you'll take the time to listen to the story, tell me more. This, this is, this is a, a serious issue for you. Could you, could you tell me about that? Just that invitation to tell more. And if you can get a few more paragraphs into somebody's story by listening well. You know, one of the best gifts you can give to somebody, one of the most generous things you can do is to listen. We, we, are, we, are, we are in an age that people do not listen well to others. There was something that I used to do as a missionary. We, we taught this class across mission agencies in Southern Africa. And, and one of the pieces of it was called Loving Listening. And one of the things that we emphasized there was listening to understand, not to refute. You've been in those tense situations before where you say something and somebody says something, you say and they say, and neither one of you are listening to each other. You're talking right past each other. And while they're talking, you're actually forming in your mind what you're going to say next. You're planning your response and how you're going to refute what they're saying instead of actually listening to what they're saying and what's behind what they're saying. And if we listen to understand first, and if we can then reflect back reasonably what they have said, maybe that leads into a provoking, a probing little bit of where did that come from now you know what you really need to respond to instead of just refuting what you heard. 
Now, we can do that. Remember I said this open-mindedness, this listening well, where does that come from? It comes from, it comes from the idea of the nobility, the noble ones, the leaders in society who had a position, who had resource in society so they could afford to be generous. Their position was secure. They could take the time to listen to competing perspectives. So can you. So can I. Why? Because... There's nothing in doubt concerning what I know about God's word. And if I'm holding on to some stuff that's a little fringe and on the side and not central to the gospel, that could be challenged and maybe chipped away anyway. But the centrality of who I am in Christ and where he has set me out of the miry clay on a solid rock, none of that is in danger. And so out of that position of strength, and security, not in my great arguments, but in the one who holds me. In that place of security, I can afford to be a generous listener. Another trick I got is just involves this generous listening when people don't expect it. You're in a coffee shop, you see somebody with a tattoo. Oh, why would somebody do that, man? I can't believe all these young kids and their tattoos today. It's just crazy. You know, he, he, um, this guy's story I was reading, he would say, yeah, I was in this coffee shop, and there was a guy, he had a tattoo. It was a big, it was a big knife over his whole arm. But what he had learned to say was, anytime he saw a tattoo, it was like, well, that is a public invitation to let's have a conversation. That's what it is. Somebody puts this billboard on their sleeve, and it, it's something personal. It's something particular. If you paid the price of having that inked into your arm, and I understand that, that that's not painless. And if you did that, it means something to you. And it's out there in the open because you want other people to see that and know that. But you got to tell me about it. I, I noticed your tattoo. That, that must have some personal meaning to you. Is there a story behind that? Off you go. They announced their readiness to tell you the story. You simply invited them to go ahead. You know anything about it yet? He didn't know if this was a gangster, if he was a, if he was a slayer murderer, or what was going on. It turned out in the conversation the guy was a chef. It was a chef's knife on his arm. There was no killing involved, except the animals that were injured in the story. But <laughs> getting past prejudice and assumptions about other people into the reality and commonality where we can talk and their story might remind you of another story, a story where somebody you know named Jesus received somebody graciously into an eternal home. Didn't judge them, didn't condemn them, but received them instead when they expected nothing but rejection. Their story might lead you, it might remind you of another story. Another way you could respond, just because we're picking on tattoos right now, you could say, hey, that's really interesting. You know, coming from the story, one of the pastors in our church has a tattoo or tattoos. And, well, what have you done there? In case there's preconceptions, in case there's, there's already prejudicial ideas about, about your, you, you know, face it, you're Baptists. You know, it's certainly from another generation, tattoos, oh, that's a terrible thing. Why would somebody do that? Well, you've just identified with them in a way they didn't understand. One of, your past, one of the pastors in your church has a tattoo. Wow, that links that there might be somebody like me there. I heard from one of the high school students just a couple of weeks ago when we had Oasis. We were having the serving the lunch, and one of them was coming over and said, yeah, I haven't been in a church in like five years. I'm saying, yes. 
He knew this wasn't just lunch, that they were coming over to a church, and this wasn't something that he did. It wasn't something that was on his to-do list, and yet here they were interacting with us. And finding, that, finding out that wasn't as scary, that you guys are actually nice. That's really cool. And so, one of our pastors, see, you don't have to get a tattoo to identify with those who have tattoos. Pastor Ryan has already done that for you. You thought it was Evan, I know. You thought it was Evan. No, no. <laughs> Pastor Ryan has already done that. He has, he has borne that, that pain. He has already, you know, put that black ink all over his arm. He's already bore that shame for you. Right? I threw that in because he liked that line for service. But, but there's something gospel even there, isn't there? Jesus who did for us what, 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 what we could not do. You know what Ryan's tattoo says? If I've got this right, it says, the wound is where the light shines through. I told you, these people that do this, they're, they're, just look, they're just waiting for somebody to ask. Ryan is just waiting for somebody to ask about the ink on his arm so that he can tell them about it. And when he tells them about it, there's an, there's an Isaiah 53 connection there. There's, a, there's an analogy of, of the whole getting a tattoo and the, and the pain that's involved before, b- 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 before the image can be seen. There's, there's something about Christ suffering for us. There's something about in the midst of the darkest times of life. You know, there may, that may be an opportunity for the light of God's love to be seen without all the distractions. There's a lot of ways that he can go, and he just waits for people to hopefully, here and there, somebody asks him. So next time you see Brian, Ryan's arm, ask him about that. You practice that line. How did it go? That, that must be personal to you. Is there a story behind that? Okay? Can you tell me about that? Tell me more about that. Faith, folks, comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. That's true for us. Getting us beyond religious practice and habits into another step into the heart of God and his grace for us. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by God's word. And it's true for the people around us as well. And yet their hearing often will start by your listening. Your listening will get you into the conversation so that you can then tell them something we know about God and his great grace toward us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for an example from these these Bereans that they listened well to your word. Father, they, they wanted to hear from you. They measured that by your scripture, your truth. Father, would we do the same? First of all, Lord, I would pray that, that we would be those that hear from you, are willing to hear from you, and, and because you shape us, we're willing and ready to be used by you. Lord, even as we would open our hearts to hear from you, Father, would you open our hearts to listen to people around us? Lord, make us good listeners. Let us hear from you. Let us listen to and hear the people around us that in both of those directions, your word might do its work, both in us as well as through us. Father, would you receive this offering now? Use that for your glory. Use that, Lord, to create new opportunities for people to hear your word.
to have the same joy and rejoicing and coming to faith in Christ as these Bereans have. Use, Lord, this offering also to, to build up your saints, your church, in the hearing of your word, in the ways that transforms our hearts. Father, we, we would yield ourselves to you with our ears, with our minds, with our hearts, with our resources, with all that we have, that you would take us, you would use us for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.